0: The only opinion of you really that matters, that's true, is going to be God's because no human being that you bump into at church is going to know exactly what you are, every single thing about you from the deepest depths of your heart, only he can.
1: You're listening to If That Makes Sense. It is Family Life's podcast about life following Jesus and walking with him through his word. My name is Tim. I work in Family Life's radio department.
2: My name is Becky, and I work in Family Life's development department.
0: My name is Jesse, and I also work in Family Life's radio department.
1: We have said it in the past on this show, but it's been a little bit since we've given the disclaimer. We're not pastors. (laughs) We don't, most of us, anyways. I don't have an advanced Bible degree or anything like that. Just Christians reading the Bible, talking about it together. And maybe I feel like I would like to have had an advanced ministry degree for dealing with part of John 5 because it's been a heavy chapter. It's been pretty dense at times.
0: I think it's about to get denser too. (laughs) What we've got here is just Jesus, just his words for like a dozen verses here.
1: Yeah, yeah, no less. And it's pretty dense. It is we're doing our best. And that's the fun part about God's word. It's like there's there's no bar set for somebody who can't read it. No, it's for all of us. So we will dive into it today. And we're reading from John chapter five, verses 31 through 47. And Becky, would you like to start us off? I'll, I'll ask first, what version are you reading from today?
2: Today I'm reading from the NIV version.
1: Cool, so am I. And I know we sometimes switch our versions up and we go from one version to another. So I thought it might be interesting to hear them ahead of time. I'm NIV as well. And what do you have got over there, Jesse?
0: I just pulled up NIV right here, but you know, I can swap to ESV <laughs> or this. something if you want.
1: Look at this. No, we are in one accord. Let's, let's keep this
2: going. You're right, you're right.
0: This is good. Don't want to be unequally yoked.
2: Here. <laughs> <laughs> let's start in verse 31. If I testify about myself, My testimony is not true. There is another who testifies in my favor, and I know that his testimony about me is true. You have sent to John, and he has testified to the truth. Not that I accept human testimony, but I mention it that you may be saved. John was a lamp that burned and gave light, and you chose for a time to enjoy his light. I have testimony weightier than that of John, for the works that the Father has given me to finish the very works that I am doing, testify that the Father has sent me.
1: And the Father who sent me has himself testified concerning me. You have never heard his voice nor seen his form, nor does his word dwell in you, for you do not believe the one he sent. You study the scriptures diligently because you think that in them you have eternal life. These are the very scriptures that testify about me, yet you refuse to come to me to have life. I do not accept glory from human beings. But I know you. I know that you do not have the love of God in your hearts.
0: I have come in my Father's name, and you do not accept me. But if someone else comes in his own name, you will accept him. How can you believe, since you accept glory from one another, but do not seek the glory that comes from the only God? But do not think I will accuse you before the Father. Your accuser is Moses, on whom your hopes are set. If you believed Moses, you would believe me, for he wrote about me. But since you do not believe what he wrote, how are you going to believe what I say?
1: Whew, tough words again for Jesus that he's delivering to the Pharisees. And yeah, that's the context here. He's talking with like the Jewish religious leaders about himself, that he's testifying to himself. He's, he's saying who he is and that they've missed it. And he brings up our old friend, John the Baptist. Mm-hmm. He we haven't like had him in the story in a bit, but if you followed the podcast, like we've had a few episodes, we've talked about John the Baptist. But I I I wonder if 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 John's packaging is what got in the way for the Pharisees. Like the Pharisees, the religious leaders, they are these, I'm gonna assume, put together people. They are in a higher class in society. And there was John preaching, proclaiming. Out in the wilderness. Eating locusts and honey and... Literally eating bugs. Yeah. Ah, yeah, but they 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 missed God's word that was right in front of them because Jesus says that there is another who testifies in my favor. Like he's kind of calling John as a witness here. I know that his testimony about me is true. You have sent to John and he has testified to the truth. Jesus says in verse thirty-three, like he's saying, you already had this message preached to you, but you didn't receive it when it was right there in front of you. And I keep wondering, yeah, maybe it was that John, John looked so much not like what they were, what they were used to in mm-hmm. in their culture for hearing from God or from God's people. And I I don't know. I don't want that to get in the way of. Of me being able to hear from God, um, being willing to hear from God from somebody who I might otherwise judge, from somebody who I might otherwise think, oh, they they couldn't possibly have something to teach me. No, the guy in camel's hair had something to teach the people who had their fine robes on.
2: I love that you bring up John's appearance and mannerisms and how different he is from the Pharisees and how that could have gotten in the way. Because when I was reading through this passage, I was like, okay, what's going on here? And then I realized, okay, these Pharisees are trying to trap Jesus. Mm -hmm. And so in this day and age, how you would negate that is you would call or the people trying to trap you would call at least two witnesses. Because if you had two witnesses saying the same or more saying the same thing, then it was looked at as it couldn't be disputed.
1: Oh, yeah. And
2: so here we see that they've already called John as a witness and John already testified in Jesus' favor, which is another thing they're not going to like about John because they already are skeptical, or so it seems, they're skeptical of his appearance and his actions and just his, hey, this guy is not like us at all and he doesn't seem to want to follow our traditions and rules and all of this. But when we call him for testimony, he's backing Jesus. Mm. And Jesus is like, hey, you already have these testimonies backing me, but you're still choosing not to believe. And it's just so interesting to me that you bring up John's appearance and just how different he is from the religious leaders as another factor in there.
0: But John wasn't just like any witness either. Mm. Like if you go back, John the Baptist, yes, he was the guy – you know, off in the wilderness eating bugs and whatnot. But he wasn't just a guy off in the wilderness eating bugs. His father, Zechariah, was literally visited by this angel who said, hey, you're going to have this child Name him John, prophesied about him. He's going to lead countrymen back to God. That's when Zechariah's is like, what? No way. And the angel um, puts him on mute for
1: <laughs> the entire pregnancy,
0: basically, <laughs> removes his ability to speak. <laughs> uh, until John is born. So this isn't... Yeah. I mean, the people would have known that. Zechariah was a high priest.
1: That's a so really
0: good point. They, Yes, he was, I I think, viewed as a little crazy. But it, it doesn't feel warranted to me. I mean, that it's kind of the same thing with the scriptures, where they view Jesus as, oh, he's just this nobody. He's just this carpenter, despite all of this stuff that came before, all of the scriptures, all the prophecy, the miracles. And... I, the same was true with John the Baptist history, but they couldn't see past the here and now.
1: That's super fascinating. I've never ever considered the fact that John the Baptist was not a firebrand out of nowhere that people knew his origin because yeah. presumably you'd be watching to see, all right, what's this? His dad's a high ranking guy. What's going to become of his kid? Is he going to be a chip off the old block or is he going to, oh, he's going to be like that. Wow, He's that's right. that's what John is like. People like knew that he was going to be born, the people that's a really interesting point I've never considered before mm-hmm. that people would have looked to him as somebody who could have been something and then he he followed the path that he did and he of course had followers. He had a lot of followers. Oh yeah. So he had a, he had some influence and maybe that's another thing we can trace out here too with the religious leaders of the time that they're Quite frankly, they're afraid of people who threaten their influence. And that's probably why a lot of fear is surrounding Jesus. That's why a lot of fear surrounded John's opinion and why hypocritically they wanted to seek his opinion, like you said, Becky, if they thought maybe it could back their case. But Mm -hmm. once they got testimony from John that they didn't like, uh, they're not going to receive that. Yeah, boy. And I don't think we can say it enough that anytime we're in the Bible that it really is our burden to identify ourselves in whoever the quote, quote, bad guy is in the story. Mm -hmm. Because like we know where we fit in in this redemption picture, we had to be redeemed. We were enemies of God, praise God. We're not anymore, but the sin nature is still alive even though it's been put to death, we're fighting it daily. So it's definitely, I'm gonna say it for myself, up to me today to look at my pharisaical tendencies. Maybe in this instance, I'm thinking, where am I looking for something to back me up only only as far as it'll back up what I already want? But if it contradicts my desires, I'll say, ooh, well, I'm not going to look at that evidence. Ooh, well, I'm not going to look at that passage of scripture. Oh, I'm not going to listen to that point from that sermon because that didn't, that didn't sound like a change I want to make mm-hmm. in my life.
2: And to that point, Tim, too, um... Jesus calls out the Pharisees for their unbelief. He gives us all of these different examples and backing for, oh, you know, John the Baptist. He, he's a testimony in bearing and agreeing that this is truth. And the Lord who has sent me, he's a testimony in agreeing that this is truth. And then he calls them out and he's like, but you still don't believe. Mm-hmm. You hear these witnesses, you see the signs and things that I'm doing, and you still don't believe. And Tim, like you were saying, putting myself in the shoes of the bad guy or the Pharisees or the skeptical people or the people that are opposing Jesus. It's like, how often do I have that unbelief in me? Now, I'm not talking about unbelief in my salvation. I am saved. That is secure. That is said and done. I'm talking about my unbelief that creeps up because of sin or doubt. On the character of God. It's like, sure. oh, I know God to be faithful. I know God to be true. I know God to be just. I know God to have the best in mind. And what ways am I not obeying because I don't fully believe? Or I'm praying and I don't I have that lingering doubt of that not that belief of, oh, it's, you know, God hears me. It's going to be answered. And it's just like, hmm, what ways? Am I here and now, am I, is that unbelief there? And am I asking God to reveal it so I can work on it? Or am I sitting back like a Pharisee and being like, eh, nope, I know better on this one. God, you don't mm-hmm. know the best on this one. Mm-hmm. And it's just, it's an interesting challenge to think about that.
1: Definitely. Definitely is, Becky. And I, I was kind of surprised to see how Jesus pointed out their unbelief because i would have thought that jesus would say something like um you know you don't think i'm telling the truth so you don't believe in me but instead he draws a different kind of contrast he says i do not accept glory from human beings but i know you i know that you do not have the love of god in your hearts i have come in my father's name and you do not accept me. He talks about their unbelief in him. They don't accept him because they accept glory from human beings. And like, as I was reading this, I was trying to figure that out. I was thinking, why, why does the Pharisees' acceptance of glory from other people get in the way of their ability to see Jesus? And I'm thinking it's this idea that if you gauge yourself and value and things by appreciation you get from other people, if you gauge the value of a thing by what it gets you in other people's perspective and other people in your standing with those other people, Mm -hmm. then you are preparing yourself to, to miss everything God has for you. I think Jesus speaks to that by saying, you don't have the love of God in your hearts. I have come in my Father's name and you do not accept me. But if someone else comes in his own name you will accept him. How can you believe since you accept glory from one another, but do not seek the glory that comes from the only God? It makes me think back to when Jesus talks about, you know, they, they, they pray and they fast in public. So everybody can see these big things they're doing for God. And people are impressed by their, their religiousness, their religiosity. And Jesus says, well, that's your reward. If you're doing it so other people can do it, you're not doing it for God. You're doing it for the praise of man. Hope you're happy with that because that's the only reward you're getting. And Jesus kind of makes the same kind of claim here that you're going to miss him. You're going to miss who he is if you accept glory from other people. If your purpose is to be in good standing with other people, then you're going to miss him. Like he says, you accept glory from one another, but do not seek the glory that comes from the only God. I thought that was interesting that that's something that can stand in the way of us seeing Jesus for who he is and and receiving him for who he is.
0: imagine pride being something that gets between us and God <laughs> like, what a what a concept practical thought <laughs> what a could hmm. it be Great Scott
1: well yeah it's
0: <laughs> it's easy to believe in things that are convenient and it's easy to tailor your behaviors to rewards like obviously, what they were doing the pharisees mm-hmm. the way they were behaving was no small feat they're fasting they're offering regular sacrifices they're on their best behavior like that that takes you know some discipline but jesus talks about them like disfiguring their faces when they're fasting oh i'm so pious i'm so righteous i'm so hungry oh but i'm fasting <laughs> right you know because i'm i'm so righteous um that's the reward you get it's easy to to believe in those things and to practice those things when it's convenient for you. But when some random carpenter shows up and says, you whitewash tombs, you brood of vipers, you're you're great on the outside, but you are completely rotten on the inside, that's not gonna make you feel swell. You're not gonna wanna, <laughs> you know, take that guy's word. Um and I yeah, I think pride was a massive thing that got between the Pharisees and Jesus. And I I get it because I'm human and I, I've struggled with pride too. We all probably have in one way or another. Yeah. I think even if you tend to be more on the the, the anxious side of like, oh, I really want people to like me. I want yeah. them to think yeah. well of me. That, I completely understand that. I suffer from that every day, but even that is sort of a form of wanting to please people and you, you want what's going to give you rewards here.
1: Yeah, it is. It's like a, it's a backward kind of pride, but it still is a kind of pride we we think it's so easy to think of pride as the person who stands above the rest and looks down on them because that's the most visible kind. But just as much there's pride when we are slinking around trying to people please and everything we say and just hoping that we didn't offend anybody because we might think we're just being polite or just being nice or but really, a lot of times, what I'm doing when I do that, because i'm I'm like you in that regard, Jesse, that I can have the same difficulty. I think a lot of us relate to it, is I'm ultimately thinking, what do they think of me? And mm-hmm. if I look good in their eyes, I'll feel better about myself. Well, like you said, maybe it's not much of a news flash, but when we're doing that, we're kind of going to be missing Jesus. At least that seems to be the implication here.
2: I wonder how miserable the Pharisees were because I think of times when I get stuck in a sense or I my focus is misaligned on um, the people-pleasing side of things and my constant thought or worry or concern is, well, what do they think of me? If I do this, then it's going to cause them to think this and then that's going to happen or, oh, I need to be doing this because that's what they expect of me. But it's all for pleasing people Mm. and not for pleasing God. And I find that when I'm misaligned or I'm stuck in that rut, life can be pretty miserable (sighs) because it's like, oh, well, now I'm in this setting with these people, and I feel like they want me to act this way. And now I'm in another setting, and I feel like they want me to be somebody completely different. And now I'm somewhere else, and now i got to be somebody completely different, and it's exhausting for one, but also it's like, well, what's who am I and hmm. why am I acting this way? And life is just miserable and exhausting. And I, so I wonder if the Pharisees ever felt that way. Were they really miserable or were they so caught up in the pride and the self-righteousness and getting that reward from people that they were fulfilled to an extent
1: fulfilled when it worked, maybe, yeah, right? Mm-hmm. But but not when it didn't. Living with that kind of pressure of being seen in other people's eyes a certain way, that can't give you peace for long. It can only give you peace as long as it's succeeding, right? Mm-hmm. Like as long as the, the facade is kept up. And mm. I think what Jesus points out is you...
0: And not not you know just in this chunk of scripture we're reading, but all throughout the scriptures when he talks to the Pharisees, I think the key thing that is pointed out is you you are trying too hard to almost become something that you're not. You're more concerned with how you appear than how you actually are. Huh. Hmm. You confuse being a righteous person with acting like a righteous person. Ooh, wait, which is wait, whitewashed tomb.
1: Can you? I'm sorry. I just wanted to hear it again because <laughs> that was really good. And I was like, wait, I want an instant replay.
0: Wait, 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 my wait, head. wait
2: can we go back? I second that.
0: You, you confuse being a righteous person with acting like one. You can act like one all day, but what are you on the inside? You know, I I can pretend to be a good person all day. That's like the classic villain thing, the twist villain, where they pretended to be this person that was close to you the whole time and turns out they're rotten, which isn't to say that any one of us are going to turn out to be a, you know, an evil supervillain. No, of course not. (laughs) Of course not. (laughs) not. This
1: isn't an early 2000s movie or anything. No, no, no.
0: But it just, that's what the Pharisees were. They were pious on the outside and rotten on the inside. Wow,
1: man. And the temptation is so real in circles where we are around Christians a lot. So here, obviously, I'm speaking, yeah, we, we work in a Christian ministry together, but what else? Like, you're going to church on Sunday, You, if you have Christian friends, if whatever kind of place you find yourself in, there is a the temptation to just be on the outside who you think people think you should be. Mm-hmm. I've got to add that who you think they think you should be because we really never know what other people are thinking. Mm-hmm. We just know what we think they're thinking. Yeah. Oh, it's 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 miserable. I'm going back to your point, Becky. Like it, it's miserable to to try to live life based on what you think other people think about you. Like that cannot lead to joy for long. Maybe for the Pharisees, there was temporary joy in that and temporary fulfillment in that. But only as long as the accolades were there.
0: ah. If that's you're what... more concerned with what people think of you than what God thinks of you, you will never have a solid view of yourself. Like the the only opinion of you really that matters, that's true, is going to be God's because no human being that you bump into at church is going to know exactly what you are, every single thing about mm-hmm. you from the deepest depths of your heart, only he can. So yes. I think we could all do better to be more focused on... What does God think of me? How does God
1: see my behavior? And Jesus says to them, Jesse, something that God says to each of us, but I know you. Jesus says that in verse 42. And then I pray, God doesn't say this to any of us. I know that you do not have the love of God in your hearts. He tells the Pharisees that. Whoa, Mm -hmm. man, that's extreme. He sees. He sees right into their hearts. He sees what is actually there.
2: But it's also, if you look at it and kind of flip the script a little bit, um, in a way it's really encouraging because what if it read, but I know you, I know that you have the love of God in your hearts. It seems like mm. that is the key or the answer to helping us overcome that struggle with what people think of us and accepting human glory and getting our reward right then and there, it's like, oh, wait, do I have the love of God in my heart? And if Mm -hmm. I do, and I'm operating out of that, then it's going to be so fulfilling and so big, but also give me some direction on how to overcome that? Well, I have to say this in this podcast recording because Jesse mm. and Tim are there and this is what they're thinking and this is what they need me. This is what they think I need to say and I need to be. And it's like, no, they're yeah. non- I don't know that they're thinking that. I just think that they're thinking that. Or am I sitting here and being like, this is what God's word says and this is how I feel like God is speaking to me? And how God is helping me through this. And that's a completely different view and way of operating. Like you said, Tim, I pray that he doesn't say about any of us that we do not have the love of God in our heart. But maybe just flipping it is the key to helping us overcome that temptation and that pride.
1: Yeah. Mm
0: -hmm. And the thing is, you don't have to believe in the truth for it to be true. Like the, Ooh, and yeah. Jesus points out at the bottom here. Um, he basically says to the Pharisees, "Like you guys like Moses so much, that that guy can back me up. I know him.
1: <laughs> <laughs> you, know, but you don't.
0: Yes. You don't have to accept this in order for it to become true. It already is true. Can you live with that? Are you gonna accept it, or are you just gonna stay blind to it?" And yeah, uh, it's it's tough. Yeah. We're humans. Yeah,
1: but it's. But he does point them to the word to say that it's right there and they could have believed it all along because mm-hmm. it was in Moses. And that's that's the other warning I'm seeing for myself here today. You can be all about God's word and miss him. Jesus says it here in verse 39. You study the scriptures diligently because you think that in them you have eternal life. These are the very scriptures that testify about me, yet you refuse to come to me and have life. That's That hits close to home for anybody who's been in like an evangelical Christian tradition <laughs> when Jesus <laughs> says, you study the scriptures diligently because you think that in them you have eternal life. I've heard the joke before that like, that there's that trinity of the Father, Son, and the Holy Bible. Um, <laughs> like the Bible it's God's word. The Bible isn't God. And we Mm -hmm. can mistake that if we know the Bible really well, therefore we must know God really well. You can know the Bible better than anybody and miss God entirely. The Pharisees Mm -hmm. did it. That's really potentially frightening. I say potentially because I love what you did, Becky, by flipping the I know you, that you do not have the love of God in your hearts, to I know you, I know that you do have the love of God in your hearts. Because we can be confident about where we stand with God. Because of what he's told us in his word, we can be confident about what we, where we stand with him. Because we have his spirit in us. And we can see this warning for the Pharisees and realize that it's still a warning and it's really important for us to take it to heart. But we can have hope because we can know what's true about us.
0: I think, uh, at least for me, uh, a massive struggle has always been separating my performance from my salvation. Um, just mentally separating, like, okay, it's it's not your works; it's not based on works, so that no one may boast, as it says in Romans. If you struggle with pride, if you struggle with with one sin or another, it's not necessarily a sign that you aren't saved being, being on your best behavior does not save you, does not earn you God's grace. But being on your best behavior is sort of a product of coming to salvation. It's not that, oh, I need to do this so I can earn God's favor. It's, whoa, God died for me. Christ died for me. I already have his favor. I want to do everything I can to serve him. And that's something that the Pharisees completely missed. They weren't, on a truth quest, they weren't searching for a way to serve God. They were like, oh, we have it. It's right here. If this is how I do it, I'm going to do it this way. No one can tell me otherwise. Oh, I'm so hungry and pious. <laughs> <and bias." laughs> know? Yes. And Jesse,
2: yeah. I love the point that you bring up of it's not our actions that save us, but it's our reaction to our sin. Mm-hmm. If we were all sinners, and I'm sure the Pharisees recognized that they were sinners, but the Pharisees had a very different reaction than someone who has placed their faith in Christ and recognizes that it's not their actions that save them. The Pharisees seem to be set that the rules and the actions and what everybody sees on the outside is what is going to save them and what is going to get them to God but God is saying no it's not that it's it's the the recognition that you can't do it on your own and right. it's accepting it and then realizing hey I'm this terrible sinful person but I don't have to live that way because of what Christ did mm-hmm. and just the two totally different paths there and it's like ooh which path have I chosen for myself
0: and we see we see early examples of that in the people that Jesus healed. Some, you know, adulterer, some tax collector, some, you know, scum of the earth, people that the Pharisees would, you know, tilt their noses up at, yeah. comes to his feet and says, Jesus, please, I don't deserve it at all. Have mercy on me. Heal me. And he goes, you have more faith than I've ever seen. You know, pick up your bed and walk, be healed. Those are the people... That, you know, like you said, recognize I'm at the complete bottom of the barrel. I have nothing to offer. Have mercy on me, a sinner. And that's the difference between them of great faith, as Jesus described them, and the Pharisees.
1: Yes, that's the only way to see it. Like time and time again in Jesus' ministry, the only way to see something is to see yourself at the bottom of the picture, to see yourself at the lowliest place. Jesus says that the poor are blessed he says that the hungry are blessed he says all these things that are opposite of how we see them in this world and that it's not the healthy who need a doctor but the sick who need a doctor and it's because we're not going to see how much we need God if we think we have anything to offer on our own um that's 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 getting it that's seeing Jesus i i love to share this quote any chance i get because it really is the gospel in in one sentence and it like just sums up where to be in your heart to see who jesus wants to be to you tim keller said it it says it all the gospel is this we are more sinful and flawed in ourselves than we ever dared believe yet at the very same time we are more loved and accepted in jesus christ than we mm. ever dared hope. Wow. Mm. So good. Yeah. That you can acknowledge the worst things I could ever imagine about my soul's state before God. Those are all true. I, the, the things that I'm afrightened to even consider are true of my soul as it stands before God on its own. And at the same time, as that is a reality, I'm more loved and accepted in Jesus than I would have ever been bold enough to dare to hope for. If you can see that, if you can believe that, first of all, it's going to change you. Like you said, Jesse, mm-hmm. to believe that does change you. You leave that sin behind and you live into that truth about yourself. And to see that and to know that that's the love Jesus has held out for you. That's the love he has shown for you. To know that, that's salvation. That's mm-hmm. that's a saving knowledge of of. Jesus Christ as we say it and that's all there is and the pharisees they missed it surprise surprise it was pride that made them miss it and maybe maybe equally no surprise here but it's pride that gets that gets us to miss it too so if i can see myself in the least of these see myself at the bottom and realize jesus saw me there and loved me more than i could have ever dared to hope then I've got the gospel.
0: But I know you. I know that you have the love of God in your hearts. Well, I, I love the way that you kind of flip the script on that. That's not what the scripture says, but that's, yeah, you know, what it easily could have said if the Pharisees had been the people that they thought they were.
1: Yeah. Flip it around. And that's something we can own for ourselves. I know you. That you have the love of God in your hearts. That's beautiful. Thank you for joining us for If That Makes Sense, the Family Life podcast about what life is really like as a young adult following Jesus. If you enjoy the show, please send it to a friend. Your genuine appreciation of the show is the best way for word to get out. And it would make our day if you left us a rating and a review wherever you found this episode. Family Life has more great original podcasts that you can check out at familylife.org podcast. Thanks again, and we look forward to having you along for the next one.